I'll play the intro song. <laughs> this is a bad idea, John. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Rules of the Frame. I'm your host, Connor Reed, and here's your other host, John Skinner. What a story, Creed. <laughs> oh, okay. Good start. Good start. <laughs> that didn't turn you guys off from this episode. Uh, we are a film podcast. We pick a subject or theme and explore films related to those topics. Our overall goal is to encourage the general public to view film as more than just a piece of entertainment, but also a piece of art and something to discuss and explore. We have finished up our top five of the 2000s series, and we thought we'd do another fun bonus episode by covering the worst film of the 2000s, and I think this is the easy choice for this episode, and we are definitely not alone for this episode. We probably have way too many guests for this episode. Uh, half of them are sick, and one of them didn't watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself, Creed. It's up to the audience to decide who is who. Next up. Podcast. Zach plus Zach equals Zach. How's it going, brother and brothers? Yeah, podcast plus podcast equals podcast. <laughs> recordings plus recordings equal bad quality. All right, Goodroll, you and introduce yourself. I'm back. Um, I'm Connor Goodroll. Some of you may remember me from our last worst of the decades episode with Jack and Jill. So now I have to deal with the public reputation. As the one person that argued that Jack and Jill was funny. I regret that I now have to deal with that reputation, but I'm excited to be back to talk about more bad movies. Connor Goodrow, who is stuck in a film, bad film prison of his own creation <laughs> for all eternity. I've done this to myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad to be back as of now. All right, Tim. I'm Tim Siebel, and with that knowledge, I don't want to be Connor Goodrow's friend anymore. <laughs> this is my first time on any sort of production like this so i have imposter syndrome but we'll get there you're all good man you watch the film so don't worry about <laughs> that. that's very true and i did not skip anything <laughs> i didn't skip any crevice you saw no matter piece. how many times the same scene was played twice <laughs> tim that makes you the best or the worst of us all <laughs> <laughs> all right dan uh, my name is Dan Logan Mill. I was first exposed to The Room at the ripe young age of, I don't even remember, in the freshman year of college when I met these fine gentlemen. I was trapped with them for four years in a dormitory. And then I was forced to experience film as an art form. And find, lo and behold, art can be bad. And so <laughs> that's how we found The Room. Uh, I'm also the most qualified and simultaneously least interested person. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you have an, a doctorate in the arts, so you can cure sick... Uh, sick beats in music. Sick job. filmmaking. So sick I art. Can cure, sick I cure the sickest art. <laughs> nice. It's the artistic sickness that beats. All right. Well, I'm going to get us started off with a summary of the film. In a San Francisco apartment, Johnny comes home to his girlfriend, Lisa. He presents her with a red dress that he bought for her. She puts it on, and they are interrupted by a young man named Denny. 
They tell him to leave as they head up to their room, but he instead follows them and starts a pillow fight. They push him out and begin to make love. The next day, Lisa is visited by her mom, whom she tells that she doesn't love Johnny anymore. Her mother tries to convince her to stay with and marry Johnny so that she will be financially secure. Afterwards, Lisa calls up Johnny's best friend, Mark, and tells him she wants to see him. He comes over and she seduces him and has sex with him. Johnny goes to a flower shop and picks up a dozen red roses and brings them back to Lisa. He tells her he didn't get his promised promotion and Lisa gets him drunk. They sleep together again and the next morning, Lisa is again visited by her mother. She tells her that Johnny got drunk and hit her, to which she says she should still marry him, and that she has breast cancer. A young couple break into Johnny's apartment and make out. They are interrupted by Lisa and her mother. The young man rushes back in and grabs his underwear. On the rooftop, Denny is confronted by Chris R., who pulls a gun on him and demands his money. Johnny and Mark rush in and stop Chris R. and take him to the police. Lisa and her mother confront Denny on what he was doing with the drugs. Later that afternoon, Mark is up on the rooftop again with Johnny, talking about women. They both say that they don't really understand them, and that weird stuff happens between them. Basically, the rest of the movie is Lisa saying that she hates Johnny, and that he hit her, and trying to convince people that she shouldn't marry her, marry him, and people trying to convince her that she should marry him. There's a party, lots of football, and... A bunch of nonsense and a bunch of stupid stuff and some really bad sex scenes. And that's really about it until the end, whenever the party hits a climactic moment and Johnny finds out Mark has slept with Lisa. They try to fight, but keep on getting broken up and then everyone leaves the party. Johnny is alone with himself and shoots himself. And then Lisa, Mark, and Denny mourn over his death. That was a work of art. (laughs) What a story, Creed. Story. That was more competent than the movie yes. as a story. Yes. That makes it sound like an intriguing movie. Like, <laughs> right. Tell me more, Creed. What happened? Can I watch that movie? First, I'll give Claire's... She didn't give two words for this. She actually gave three words for a three-word description of this. That's fitting. This movie broke all the rules. All right. Her, her three words are too much boob. <laughs> <laughs> and now my two words are misused ambition. Oh, I actually have I I feel a little bit differently about this film watching it this time than in some of the previous times. I read the book, The Disaster Artist, written by Greg, which is really fascinating and I would highly recommend to everyone. It actually in some ways helped me appreciate the film in a weird way. It's a horrible movie and I I thought I was going to appreciate it more going into watching it again. But I was like, oh, no, this is so bad. But I honestly think that there is something innate within Tommy Wiseau that lends him to like doing creative work. He has a lot of ambition and he has a lot of money, which I think could be used in good ways, but not so much in this one. But when you see the guy, you don't expect as much coherence as there kind of is with this film. There's barely any with this, (laughs) but the fact that it actually got finished is the crazy thing to me. A miracle of competence, says Connor Reed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I disagree. Well, actually, I sort of agree in a different way, but my two words are comprehensively terrible. I'll say that. Comprehensively terrible. Because before we started recording, we're talking about mentioning a couple other terrible movies, and I think this is clearly in a class of its own. You compare it to, like, Birdemic, for example, right? 
this is actually a fairly watchable movie visually. Like, it, it looks like a crappy... It actually reminds me of Monk a lot, which I love yes. Monk. It's not trying to insult Monk. But it gives me, like, serious Monk vibes because of the music. And, like, it looks Francisco. like a TV show in the early 2000s. Yeah, it looks like a TV show because of the weirdness of, like, these people do not know what they're doing, but they have expensive equipment. It's more... It's less of, like, a chore to watch it than it is to watch just horribly made movies that look bad. Not that this looks great, but... And that's what's miraculous about this in some ways is that every part of it is bad. Almost like the structure of it, like the scenes are next to each other. Great job. Like like everything else about it is broken so much that it seems impossible, right? It's not just people trying to do a bad story badly. The, the quote that I heard from one of the writers was, it's like you explained films to an alien exhaustively. Like you spend a long time explaining what films are to a mo- an alien that has never seen movies, and then they went and made a movie. That's what this is like. This is one movie that you really have, I think you have to see the whole thing. Like, you have to sit down and watch it, even though there's bad things that come with that, because obviously there's all these quotable mo- moments and funny qu- jokes and, and everything, but it's the average scene that you don't see made a meme out of that is t- the worst. I mean, it's just like the logic of scenes don't make sense. His girlfriend tells him she bought pizzas twice <laughs> for no reason. No, 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 no. It's better than that. She says, how about I order a pizza? And then he says, oh, you think of everything. And she's like, you know what? I already ordered a pizza. <laughs> oh, you're right. She asks him if he got the promotion. And he says, no. And then she's like, you didn't get it, did you? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Were you not paying attention or what? So like stuff like that that's like, is this bad editing? Or does Tommy Wiseau not understand how humans work? That's what makes it so compelling every time you watch it is that the forgettable stuff is so broken that there's not a boring moment in the film, even though the plot is very boring. Okay, I'll go next because um, kind of similar thread. My two words were baffling hubris because I, I kind of see what you're talking about, Creed, with there is some creative potential there. We've got to find a place for it and refine it and put strong parameters on it. Um, But he had just complete control. Every single layer, every single thing, was just a misstep completely. Dialogue, like we talked about, made no sense. Wasn't how normal people talk. The emotions didn't hit. The relationships didn't hit. The directing didn't hit. The technical choices. Everything was a misstep. But he really shot for the stars. He really thought this was going to be a big deal Hollywood movie. His artistic manifesto. He thought it was going to hit layers of like deep relational things. Speak to deep layers of life and metaphors and, and the comedy. He tried to cram it all in and every single thing missed. He put it in a theater for two weeks so that would be eligible to win an Academy Award. (laughs) Yes, he thought he would win an Academy Award on this. And, like, that's why it's baffling. The only redeeming qualities of this is the question of why. Why did did they say that? Why did they do that? It's baffling in an enjoyable way. It's funny seeing his ambitions combined with the complete lack of understanding of basic things about movies. like. The advertising, you know, one theater for two weeks. I'm going to win Best Picture. I'm going to win an award, whatever. <laughs> he bought a billboard for like six years. 
in LA. It was just his face and the word the room. I don't even know if it had a website you could read. And people for a long time in Hollywood knew this as the movie from the poster, from the billboard. And he like kept it up for like way, way longer than makes any sense whatsoever. And may have may have paid for it with laundered money from Korean leather jackets. I don't I thought was it jackets or purses? Jackets. A woman who betrayed him, probably. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> a woman hurt him, and he made this movie instead of go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's here's Zach's two words. I think the two words I would use for this movie, I think, is pretty summed up in this. It's the American comedy. <laughs> what? Like it's either American comedy or the American dream. Because who's to say that dreams are supposed to be these light? airy kind of like floaty things that you just make yourself feel good and you're like oh this is so relaxing this is going exactly to plan because we all know dreams have the darker subjects of nightmares and i think the room perfectly encapsulates that the room is by far one of the better films that you know people can derive and make fun of that was zach coim from the reaches of technology. Woo! <laughs> Time traveler. Time traveler. Coming in hot with his thesis that this is the most American movie ever made. Maybe a, an implicit critique of American capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, hot take. This movie is evidence that not everybody should chase their dreams. <laughs> hot take. Throw well, that down. True. Or sometimes you have to wait almost 20 years for your dreams to pay off. True. It's a wildly successful movie. It's crazy. <laughs> like, it's a lot more successful than it deserves. This is a sign that even when you have a giant ego, have the humility to realize when people are laughing at your movie that it was a comedy all along. <laughs> all right, Tim, what's your two words? Uh, my two words work as a slogan for the movie, so I'll just say, The Room. A movie? <laughs> 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 because... Because... Watching it through, like, I thought about all of the conversations that just happened over and over again between Lisa and the mother. Two of the four sex scenes, yes, four, are the exact same footage. There's the part where the guy tells the story to Johnny, but he already saw the story, so he didn't need to see that. <laughs> just all this stuff that could be taken out, and then you change, like, the writing. Maybe the actors, I don't know how good they actually are, because it's hard to tell. Hey, Tim, I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to be pretty. I'm going to have a hot take and say they're bad. You're probably right. <laughs> but except for except for Lisa's mom. Sorry. Yeah, there's there's a version of this plot that could be good. It could be well done, but I don't think it would add up to a whole movie if you take away all of the repetition. If you take the redeemable quality in the movie and give it to somebody competent. I don't know if we'd recognize it. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it would no, be no, like no. it'd be like half a half an hour short film is what it would be. What we're talking about is a stupid melodramatic love triangle without any nuance, and you want to take away the funny parts and make it a melodrama. It's like a different movie, yeah. and it's like okay, yes, melodramas can be good, but I would much rather watch this movie. <laughs> that is true, but I think there is something redeemable in there. I think you're right. You could pluck out a plot from it. Mm-hmm. Dan, what you got? Yeah, I'm bouncing off of all of those things. It's just, I mean, I can't think of it any, as anything more than just a chaotic fantasy. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, 
whose fantasy? <laughs> is it Tommy's or is it ours? What are we experiencing? <laughs> Who is living the chaos? Who is living the fantasy? Are they connected? This is the question we have to solve. Is it Tommy's dream? Is this really like what he wishes his life could be? Is it a vision? Is the movie his dream? Or are we just trapped inside of it, living within the world that the billboard claims we could own, that we could possess? I feel that I'm trapped, not just by the film, but in this conversation right now. <laughs> Dan is making me think if we pull out the DVD that so a screenshot I, I, I of this I disagree with you on this one I, I, I'll fight you, I'll fight you I'll fight you, I'll, I'll kill you motherfucker Zach disagrees with you Daniel Like the whole point of this Like I, like the whole thing about the room Is not <laughs> It's about, like recording like, for me This black comedy or drama I, I think it's a portrayal of real life the nonsensical, like, non-important things you don't think about. Like, you go through your every day and you don't think about it. But you, you don't realize the impact you have, like, around you and towards other people. Look at the flower shop scene. Tommy goes in. And the flower shopkeeper knows him by name and goes, you're my favorite customer. And the, even he even says, hi, doggy. The dog likes him. That shows like he goes there so often that he's built a community, a support system, a, a loving family of sorts. And you can see like how respected he is in his own neighborhood. And that is so wildly important to the people today. And in film, like we don't really see that. We don't get that like conjoined feeling of like community in film we're told oh you have like one or two close people and that's it tommy basically befriends everyone he's got uh, he's he's adopted a small like street urchin kind of kid he just shows up and tommy's like come into my house we'll have fun and they do they play football a lot that's just so important to it, it, like revolve and evolve kids like push them to a limit and like help them expand their horizons and see see beyond the brick wall that society lays before them the room is in personally encapsulates that because it's both personal private and it's supposed to be enjoyed by everyone like when you when you invite people to your house you you go and I'll give you a small tour. And then you go to your room and you go, this is my Bionicle collection. It's it's nice. I spent years collecting them. I've been on eBay. I spent $200 more on some figurines yeah, from the early 2000s that will easily be forgotten oh off of Reddit. It's fantastic. It's, it, it, like the room is supposed to be this kind of I think that's enough space. of Zach for now. Thank you, wow. Zach, from the beyond. I just really want to argue with with disembodied Zach. I want to I want to start this conversation. Uh-huh. Zach thinks it's all about this toasted community, and I'm like, we're trapped in someone's brain. Let me free. I'm pretty sure Zach defends this movie better than Tommy could himself. <laughs> He's yes. like, it's a good movie about people. Okay, just don't hurt each other. Just love each other. Oh man, Daniel, your your argument got destroyed on tape delay. How does that make I, you feel? <laughs> honestly, John. It proves to me something about Zach <laughs> and the way no, his brain works. About art. Oh. That all art right, is right, subjective right. always. Zach is art. <laughs> Zach, Zach is, is art. a piece of art. What he left out is the part where um, you take a street urchin 
kid up to your room and show me your bionicle collection but he insists on being the third for you and your girlfriend <laughs> that's right all right before we move on with our conversation i'll give a brief noun film history so tommy moves to the u.s at some point we don't really know when uh but at Who knows? he moves down to louisiana to stay with his uncle down there until he earns enough money to move to the city of his dreams san francisco where Supposedly, he becomes a street kind of performer slash he sells stuff like birds and all that. And so people call him the bird man. And the French word for bird is Wasso. And so he changes that to Wiseau as his last name. But with a W. But yeah, with a W. So he's Tommy Bird and becomes known for that and apparently makes a lot of money doing that and starts his own clothing company there. And then wait, does makes a lot of money doing what? Selling these wooden birds that he has. Okay. And then... <laughs> made them? Maybe? Stole them? Possibly? None of this means that he's French. He's still, like, vaguely... No, 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 no. No, he, he took asylum in France from a some communist country oh, where okay. he was persecuted. Yeah. Okay. So he's Eastern European-ish. Ish, yes. That's why his, so that's why his accent is so hard to pin down. He's, like, Eastern European, then he was in France... Then in then Louisiana, to the south. and then San Francisco. And San Francisco, okay. <laughs> he be, he becomes interested in acting and falls in love with Tennessee Williams and Marlon Brando and all that sort of stuff. And so takes acting lessons, which is where he meets Greg Sestero. The two become fast friends. Greg also wants to be an actor, and Tommy lets Greg live at his place in L.A. while he starts his acting career down there. And once he's got an agent and has a bit of work up his sleeve. Then Tommy decides to move down and move in with him. And the two try to flush out their acting careers. Greg is a little bit more popular and gets more roles, obviously. And Tommy does not get anything, unfortunately. And so Tommy becomes very depressed and kind of disappears for a while, actually, realizing that Hollywood doesn't want him and that he'd never get hired in something. And then he comes back and Mark, or sorry, Greg and Tommy go and see the talented Mr. Ripley, which deeply inspires Tommy. And after that, he decides he wants to make his own movie. And thus, he starts writing The Room. He spends quite a bit of time on it and then starts to hire the actors, says that he wants Greg to play Mark, and Greg says no. And so they hire a whole bunch of other actors. Mark is the line producer on it. And then the day before filming, Tommy tells Greg that he wants him to play the role of Mark and that he's going to fire the guy who plays Mark, to which Greg says no. And then Tommy offers him a ton of money, and he says yes. And so (laughs) in order to mask this, he says that the producers want to see Greg on tape, and so they do the scenes multiple times, one with the actor who is actually playing Mark, and then with Greg playing Mark. And then they finally get the hint, and he fires the guy who's playing Mark. The shoot is crazy troubled. Basically, they flip over the crew three or four times because they can't stand working with Tommy. The crew is insanely uncomfortable the cast is insanely uncomfortable he has everyone all of the cast members all of the crew members come to set every single day they shoot way over time and spend six million dollars they shoot longer than it took to shoot transformers actually (laughs) and it's just crazy and then they finish principal photography and then tommy decides he wants to do more scenes up in san francisco and so he brings a new team along with him up there and greg and that's where greg kind of discovers some of the he finds his clothing warehouse which is in maybe the most expensive neighborhood in san francisco and all of these other crazy things and then 
basically just leaves Tommy alone for a while and just stays in, stays in San Francisco. And then the room premieres and it's a disaster. It makes $1,800 in two weeks and costs $6 million to make. And <laughs> then is kind of not heard of again until it starts getting a cult following. Actors like Paul Rudd start like voicing up for it, saying that it's like one of the best things that they've seen because it's so funny. And then people start petitioning to have it brought back to theaters. And so they reach out to Tommy. Tommy brings it back. Word starts to spread. And so it, there's now screenings going on in New York and then screenings going on in London and then festivals for it. And now there are routine midnight screenings of The Room where people throw spoons and dress up in costumes and Tommy shows up and all that good sort of stuff. And I think he's actually made a profit now, which is crazy. Forgot about the spoons. As you know, he created a comedy. Yes, he actually does. Now he says that it was always intended to be a comedy. Okay. Like opening night, everyone was laughing, and he pretty much immediately decided to tell people it was a comedy. I know that's how they portray it in The Disaster Artist. I don't know if that's how originally it was, though. There's not a whole lot said about that. I think that's kind of an urban legend that he immediately took up saying that it was a comedy. But That was probably propagated by Tommy to try and save face. He's like, oh, no, yeah. I realized it right. It was away. definitely saving face. Here's the yeah. thing, though. You can you can go online and people believe there was a soundtrack released with the original movie. There is. There is a CD that you like, can like, buy sorry, with the DVD of it. Track. A laugh track. Oh. A laugh oh. track in the movie. Huh. So, like, that's, that's like, something people argue. Doesn't need a laugh track. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not at all. The spoon thing was just, like, a couple of guys pretty early on that started watching it. Like, obviously, it had to build a lot of momentum for them to bring it back, but that first showing, there was some guys in L.A. that were, like, went and saw it four times and three times in four nights or something like that, and they started to act out the parts of the movie pretty quickly after it came out, and, like, the cult was small, but it it started immediately, and Mm -hmm. it's only the coming back, I think, that really made it a national phenomenon. But Yeah, one of the other crazy things about the premiere is that I think Tommy called a company to make sure that the entire theater was filled with people. The company couldn't find enough people. And so they literally had to hire like either like circus actors or impersonators. And so there's just a bunch of people like in costumes in the audience there. And it still wasn't (laughs) even full. And they like took the limo around multiple times because there weren't enough people (laughs) at the front of the theater for them to make their grand entrance. Oh man! Oh boy! It's amazing. And that's such Tommy Wiseau kind of logic. He's so <laughs> sold on the idea of this is going to be a sold out premiere and this facade of success, but it just completely misses the point. Like you're losing more money. This yeah. is the opposite of success. <laughs> yeah. I also have a I have a bit of a surprise for you guys. I'm gonna make a call and see if it will be hard to surprise us at this point, unless you can get Tommy Wiseau or Mark on the phone. No, it's out. What? It was his oh, billboard number. He used to be able to call it, and then he'd be like, "Hey, come and go see my movie." Oh. <laughs> well, it has been six years. Out. Well, it was it was up. I remember calling it once back in like 2016, and it was still going. So, huh? He ran out of money. He ran out of money. Finally, it was his it was his home landline that he put the number <laughs> out there for. Bold move. Yeah. <laughs> And people would call it, and he'd just be like, okay, I hope to see you there. (laughs) He's nothing if he's not bold. I hope to see you at my movie, and I love you so much. 
it's funny because we're talking about it like it's a failure, but like in some very basic way, Tommy Wiseau the not understanding what makes a successful movie is because he doesn't understand all the work that goes into advertising. And I mean, he literally th- probably went to see the movies that he saw and, and he loved them. And it was just that connection, that direct connection. And he thinks this movie is popular because people have this connection. So if I make this connection for people, it will be popular. Like, he, I just don't think he thinks of the movie industry, anything more than that. So that's why it works. Cause it's this super intimate personal connection with films you're seeing earnestly who he is and it's hilarious <laughs> in a lot of ways and that resonates with people from the very beginning this isn't like this is not like a late night tv type movie this is an ed wood movie or like this is like something different because he's really trying and he really believes and it i mean he was sort of right because it became a, a huge hit yeah that's true like he turned a profit and we're recording a podcast yeah. about it. Like, it was successful. We're probably not the only ones, too. Oh, uh, absolutely not. There are a great many on the YouTube. James Franco made a movie about him. James Franco <laughs> and his little brother. <laughs> they made a movie Which... about the making of The Room before, I believe, they made a movie about the making of the uh, show about the making of The Godfather or, you know, Star Wars. Or all sorts of things. Like, this was... <laughs> Which, yeah, but you take, see, that movie is not great. Well, but you see, that's the thing about movie magic, is uh, if it's good, you don't care about how it was made so much. And with this one, you're like, how did this happen? How did this happen? <laughs> how is it so much money? It's like uh, Apollo 8 or whatever. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing about the movie, though, is... I know a lot of people are like praising him for his performance. And I think it is transformative where it's like, you don't really see James Franco in it, but watching it again, I was like, I don't think his impression is that good. You think it's easy to do like a Tommy Wiseau impression. And we've been doing it all night, but it's actually like kind of out there because there's a scene at the end where James Franco is playing Tommy while Tommy himself is actually in the scene. (laughs) And they sound like completely different when you're not hearing kind of the source material. You're like, Oh yeah, that's what he sounds like. But then whenever you watch it, you're like, he sounds really different actually. And it's actually really hard. To, even though it's such an iconic voice, it's really hard to nail down like exactly what it's like. And all of like the weird intonations that he has. And I think the first step to looking like and sounding like Tommy Wiseau, just like based on watching this last time and his like eyes and speech, just do like a shit ton of weed. like like take more edibles than you think you would survive and then you might get it oh so here's the crazy thing i realized about watching it tommy is not the main character he's like barely in the movie but he's so his presence is so like overpowering when he's there that you think he's just throughout it almost the entirety of the movie is just about lisa there are so many scenes without tommy but there are very few scenes without lisa huh and she's the antagonist yeah yeah. yeah. No one has an arc except maybe maybe Mark sort of. Denny. Yeah. But no he one doesn't has do a... drugs anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Denny has drugs. a real glow up redemption arc. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> Stop getting up on me. He learns about boundaries and he learns about <laughs> drugs. Yeah. He is learns that he can love his dad's girlfriend, soon to be wife, but he can't kiss her. Yeah. <laughs> 
People just need to love each other more. Be a better place. <laughs> You're not upset? Yeah. That is a crazy scene. I know. <laughs> this is a so crazy awkward. character. But I still want to know, what kind of drugs does he take? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of drugs do you take? <laughs> <laughs> the best is, I, I'm looking like through my notes about this. It, there's just so much. Like I lost, I kind of lost track on this because there's just, there's so much. Lisa's mom is the best actor, and she's terrible. <laughs> or Chris R. Chris R. Is, actually gives a pretty good performance. Who's Chris? Okay, sure. Why is he Chris R., too? Like, why is he his last name? Oh, the gangster. Yeah. Low-key, Greg, Greg sucks at acting, though. I mean, I, I think he gets a lot of love because he wrote the book, but he's not good at acting. Well, he's, he's horrible in this movie because because he's so checked out when you read the book he's like yeah i did not care throughout the entirety of that movie it was so <laughs> awful and it was so miserable i literally could not bring myself to act yeah some of these characters obviously all these characters are ill-defined but greg's especially like i never noticed this before but the beginning scene he's like i can't talk i'm really busy <laughs> it's never established what he does oh and he goes straight over to her house too yeah it's <laughs> like he's clearly not busy She'll be like taking his shirt off and I'd be like, what are you doing? He's like, <laughs> so oblivious. <laughs> She's sitting in his lap, giving yeah. him wine in the middle of the day. And he's like, candles, wine. What's this all What's about? What's going oh. on? Oh. Okay, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about this. The worst part about this movie is that half the movie is sex scenes. Mm -hmm. Not half. There's but... a big chunk. Yeah. They're definitely the longest scenes. They're yeah. longest, they're bizarre, they don't understand human anatomy. <laughs> also, like, I mean, they're all really weird. But the third one had, like, a much stronger ASMR thing happening than the first three. I, I don't know, I just, it's just a little thing I noticed. Where it's just like, the others are like, music, he's aiming for a belly button. Uh, and then the last one, there's just like, them in the background. It's like they took the mic up to their face and took turns with like, Oh, like, <laughs> oh, it's throughout it's so, all of them. I mean, that's the one where it's the most. On a stairwell? Yeah. yeah. The majority of the movie was 80 yard because the room tone was so bad that you couldn't actually hear it. And people <laughs> and oh, the guy who was running the audio didn't know how to run audio. So there's oh, whole no. chunks of the movie that was just not recorded at all. Oh, no. Wild incompetent. They had money for two cameras taped together, which is incompetent. <laughs> But it's money, and then they didn't have the money to hire competence and money to hire a sound guy who does sound. Yeah, and I had never fully watched uh, any of the sex scenes or technically any of this movie until this last time watching it because we watched it with you guys and we were just like, okay, this is too much, and then we'd fast forward through it. And fun fact, this this is actually the first movie <laughs> That Claire and I watched together. Oh, <laughs> dear. And you managed to get married. What? Yep. And she still married you? Yep. Man. Whenever I was working at a coffee shop, she was just like, oh, uh, what do you think the worst movie in the world is? And so I said, The Room. And so she's like, oh, we should watch it. And I'm like, well, okay. And then the second oh, movie, well, I think the third movie we watched together was Vampire's Kiss. So it was a winning streak. Oh, my. Oh, boy. But yes, there is so much moaning in this movie it is crazy <laughs> i mean i honestly think that this movie might hold the record for longest sex scene because yeah. that first one is insane it was originally supposed to be five straight minutes of that but it's like it's still like three mm -hmm. 
like fun foreplay to afterglow it's like three minutes (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of foreplay with the pillows and the flowers okay (laughs) i think the second one is literally the rest of the scene yeah i think if you combine those two together that's what the whole first scene was supposed to be yeah that second scene does not need to exist. Oh. None of them need to exist, but like, certainly four times is ridiculous. And then the music choice also, whenever it's, uh, I mean, you can make a bad movie and it's like whenever the couple is together, it's like, why not want what? But then like <laughs> when it was, when is Mark and Lisa? It's like, oh, it's such a betrayal, but it's still like, yeah, he has a basic understanding that like, Sex scene equals R&B, and yeah. then he does it. And he doesn't... You know, it's funny we're complimenting this movie for being uh, bold, but I think this is arguably the way in which he's the most bold, and he should not have been. Like, <laughs> he was not capable of filming these these things in a dignified way, just in terms of treating the actors. They're jo- a joke and bad. And look, I have a hard time watching them, but even if, as a, a funny thing, they stop being funny, because it's just like, so again, long. the same... The same scene 50 times, the same thing being shown a bunch. It's just nonsense. It's the part that makes you most of this movie think like, yeah, he's weird, but like, am I allowed to like him for being weird? Because this is weird in a bad way. Yeah, no, it's disturbing. And then there's like even just stuff that's not sex scenes that is like the Mike and Michelle, the two people that (laughs) break into the house and all that. What is up with yeah. that? There's just so much. That was wild. completely useless. Yeah. <laughs> the most wild facial expressions I've ever seen in a movie. And I've watched Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah. He does them later too. Like whenever they're at the party and she's feeding him chocolate, he does the same faces. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's all like, <laughs> I know what this means. Feeding me chocolate. Chocolate is the simplest one. They eat each they eat so many chocolates in that scene. <laughs> yeah. Like, it becomes deadly sin switches from lust to gluttony real quick. <laughs> Which you don't see later is they're they're like sitting on the couch, they're like, so you want to do it? He's like, I'm so bloated. He's like, me too. It's like, oh. <laughs> we ate five bags of truffles. What happened? <laughs> yeah, that's why he left his underwear out, is because he was just too full. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't fit in them anymore. Yeah. But also Okay, wait, hold on. So he has to go grab his underwear, but when they get walked in on, he's wearing pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. He's just putting his shirt on. So he, something has gone wrong, but then later he tells Tommy the story for no freaking reason. Yeah. So that Tommy can be like, what a story. Laughs at him. And it's like to show that he's a good friend, I guess. I don't know. But then it's embarrassed Yeah. when the other two guys he's with Find out about the story. It's like, they're here. Well, that means he's a trusted confidant. I think Tommy is supposed to be set up as this, like, enormously philanthropic, like, how could you ever betray? And it's supposed, the story is supposed mm-hmm. to be a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Zach was saying, they try so, so hard to paint Johnny in a good light. Yeah. And I think it's hilarious because it's Tommy writing about his own character. <laughs> yeah. But every chance they can, he's a great guy. Even Call Lisa, me if you need anything. Even Lisa is like, he's so kind. And it's like, well, why are you? Yeah, there's a point where like he gives most of the way through the movie after like her entire character is just saying, I don't want to be with him because he's not that great. And then she's like, yeah, he loves me really, really well. And then someone or, says or something Danny. negative about him. And then she's like, no, he does this really well. And it's like, 
Tommy can't even make up his mind whether someone hates him or likes him. Yeah. He can't. Yeah, the power of him wanting to have everyone be a mouthpiece for how wonderful he is <laughs> is overwhelms the plot of the movie, and he has to have his nemesis be like, "Secretly, I still love him." Like, <laughs> yeah. But I, I also think too that Tommy has this innate fear of writing people. And because he thinks he understands people, but he also, I think, somehow realizes that he doesn't because no character is like in a scene for longer than two minutes. And once they hit that like two minute mark, something crazy happens and they just leave or someone else comes in or like it's a total scene change. It's wild. He doesn't know how to keep people in scenes because they'll be talking about something and then it'll like Denny will walk in or Mike and Michelle. And it's just wild like he doesn't know what to do like he literally does not know how to contain these characters all of his characters have the potential to be kramer from seinfeld at any moment yes just yes. <laughs> what's up tommy yeah this entire movie is like a combination of seinfeld and like an like an indie film where things are you know friends are just hanging out and like nothing's happening and there's no plot it's so bizarre because none of that adds at all to the story and it it's like these weird vignettes on accident, but it's just, I think they're supposed to be clear what's happening. It's just not. There's a scene that shows he doesn't understand how to... He's, like, lazy with camera work as well because um, uh, Lisa and Denny walk in, and then the camera is, like, set up to look at them at the front door, and I think Mark is there, and he leaves, and then Lisa wants to talk to Denny, and they just, like, kneel down. <laughs> they don't go for the furniture or yes! anything. <laughs> And then Denny Denny's, just sits on the floor. Yeah, and then Denny's like, okay, well, I'm going to go. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much of that where someone walks in and is like, I need this. And they're like, oh, okay. And then just decide to leave immediately. Yeah. It's like crazy. The mom, the mom and Lisa walk in. She's like, oh, I'm so exhausted from that shopping. Boom. And then after the underwear incident, she's like, well, I'm going to go. <laughs> or like when Denny. You sat down for two seconds. Denny walks in, says, That's right. is Tommy here? I need to ask him something. I need some sugar. It's like, are you the big bad wolf? Like, what's... He's like, I need to ask Tommy something. Her response is, he'll be here in a little bit. He's like, well, I gotta go. I'm like, I guess you don't need to talk to him (laughs) too bad. Pretty sure he lives next door. Yeah, I think they all live in the same, like... They're all supposed to live in the same building. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't they have, like... It's an outside exit. Like, they all have the garage on the bottom. That always freaked me out, because, like, where's the window... Well, there are outside shots. The geography of the house makes no sense, and mm-hmm. it changes, like yeah. the TARDIS sometimes. Which floor is the room on? Yeah, yeah, what is the room? The even crazier thing is, so they filmed all of the principal stuff before getting any of the exterior shots out in San Francisco. <laughs> Initially, they tried filming in front of a mansion. That was where Tommy was supposed to be living. But oh, then the man. security came by and like, hey, you can't film here. And so they just went to another like part of town and just filmed those apartments. So it actually makes more sense because they got turned. It still doesn't make any sense, but it makes more sense than them all just living in one mansion together. Yeah. It's like, what is this clue? Like what's happening with the crappiest rooftop ever? (laughs) That place is awful. Yeah. (laughs) The corrugated metal, the green screen backdrop, the one fake potted plant right next to the exit <laughs> with the purple is it, it is it true or an urban legend that they filmed the rooftop scene on a green screen built on the f- like ground level in San Francisco so well, for some reason well so what they did was they 
they filmed the rooftop scenes in the Burns and Sawyer studio that they had. So they bought all of the cameras and equipment from this studio. Yeah, he bought it, which is insane because you don't buy that equipment. You, you lease. You lease right? it. You yeah. lease and you, nobody buys a camera. No one buys it. And so they're like, hey, since you're partnering with the, or since you did this, we want to partner with you to help you make this film. So we want you to shoot on our lot. And so he's like, that's great. So they shoot the studio stuff in there, even though there's an alley outside that they could have shot in. And also, whenever they go to shoot the exteriors, they film the exterior of the panorama around the rooftop on Johnny's rooftop, which they also could have been filming on. Wait, there was a real rooftop that they (laughs) chose not to use? Yeah. They filmed both the rooftop scenes and the alley scenes in sets inside the lot where there was a real exterior for the alley scene outside and there was a real exterior for... I mean, it would have been more expensive and probably the sound wouldn't be as good, but at that point, the sound is horrible anyway. So they could have just filmed on Johnny's rooftop and actually had... And there's like another rooftop that they could have used nearby as well. So ADR, like everything else. Yeah, everything is ADR'd anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But then they couldn't have done those amazing stunts of holding people over the edge. Right. <laughs> that would be dangerous. <laughs> oh, boy. I think we need a word from Zach Coyne. Uh, I'm just clicking to a random spot. <laughs> Wait, we need a jingle. Here's a word. Got a time. It's Zach Coyne coming again. I think the scenes being out of focus and being grainy adds a, like, another, like, theme and symbolism of, like, what it's like to see what life is like because sometimes your row that you're dreams, on like it gets dreams, a little muggy, gets a little you know fuzzy and you're like <laughs> i don't know if this is the right direction and you're just taking a leap of faith and a walk of faith you you're walking down and you just kind of can't see and you're like okay i just have to keep walking keep focusing otherwise i i might lose track and that's kind of like how it is the end goal you know as far as it is or as, as close as it is, it, it can be just slightly out of focus and it worries us that we can't fully see it right now. That speaks to the audience of like, it's okay. You don't have to see the end to know what's going on. To be in focus all the time means that you were gifted perfect eyesight. Not everyone has perfect eyesight. Look at me. I can wear, <laughs> I could probably could have Coke bottle glasses and still can't see, still can't see my own nose. Okay. Zach just wants there to be value here so much. Well, but he's doing a great job. If I yes. if I ever commit a war crime, I'm not going to hire a lawyer. I'm going to hire Zach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I didn't think Kierkegaard would get referenced obliquely in this podcast. The Leap of Faith. Oh my gosh. Like Kierkegaard, he's using personas and we have to dig through. Well, how much does he mean what right. he's saying? This is truly a, a deeply philosophical piece of work, the the podcast that we're creating here, and I don't know how to react without bullying him. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me see if I have a refute to that. This is the purpose of the room, is to show you that you can always keep moving forward, no matter how they're tearing you, no matter how they're looking at you, and no matter how, you know, basically, how's your sex life? That is such an important <laughs> question to ask, because as a friend, you should always check in. 
basically what Tommy does to Mark when he goes, oh, how's Zach your watched the end of this the movie, and is he okay? I hope he's not taking hope from this movie, because it doesn't end happy. <laughs> when he asked him about his sex life, he was asking, Mark, are you okay? Who is the disaster artist, really? Do you need a shoulder, an ear? It's Zach. You can talk to me about your most vulnerable state. I'm here to stand beside you. I want to talk to Zach I now. think, is the right? most important question in the film is how's your sex life zach is able to see what tommy wiseau was going for I was about he's to able that. to see tommy wiseau's original intention and what he wanted tommy yes. wiseau to make we made a mistake this shouldn't have been one of the worst film the worst film of the decade this is the best yeah Did we have to redo it we're bumping there will be blood <laughs> yeah it's a... and we're putting the room in <laughs> <laughs> remove there will be blood this is more important than dark knight <laughs> speaking of which tommy wiseau wants to play the joker and i say we oh, let sh- him. have you shit. seen the have you seen there's a nerdist video where he plays the him him as the joker and then greg as batman and they do the interrogation scene from the dark knight it is wild oh boy Oh, why does he have such a man crush on Greg? Is it just like he has an actual uh, crush on Greg? an actual crush, I think. Is <laughs> yeah, it might be. I think so. He's like writing the script and he's like, and then they play football and tackle each other for a long time. Like... Well, okay. Here's an interesting thing from the book, actually. Whenever they first go down to LA together and they're staying at his place. And so Tommy is in the room and then Greg is sleeping out in an air mattress outside. Hold on. Did you just say sleeping on an air mattress outside? No, in, sorry, in, in like the living room. He's sleeping on an oh, air mattress okay. in the living room. And so Tommy comes out and is like, okay, you want to do anything or anything like that? And you want to come in? Do you want to play or anything? And so something along, like something weird along those lines. And Greg is like, oh, no, I'm trying to sleep. And then Tommy goes back into the bedroom and is just like, Okay, but just don't be a chicken. Cheep, 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 cheep. <laughs> is this broken English or? Yes, but what else is it? It's there. It's there. Okay. It's there. <laughs> Along the lines of that, I feel so bad that Lisa had to kiss Tommy so much. I kind of forgot how much there oh, is. Oh, man. That's the chaotic fantasy. That is the chaotic. Well, in the audition, <laughs> he literally made the women trying out for Lisa to make out with him. Oh, no. Which is... Not how stuff. it works. That's the most Hollywood Not how it's thing supposed he's ever to done. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's like the intimacy coordinator. All that stuff is the worst part mm-hmm. about this movie, by far, I think. And he's like, Greg, you want to try out for Lisa? but for the for the sex for like when you're filming like a sex scene or something like that or any sort of nudity it's supposed to be like a closed set where only like the essential people are supposed to be there he made everyone be there and watch while they Uh, were filming those scenes in this uh, too much boob too much boob the boob is tommy yeah (laughs) he's gonna say too many people watching boob yep and then also berated her for having acne as well and flipped out on her for that. Oh. Yeah, what's her what's her story post movie, right? Cuz Greg gets his whole arc with the book, but like Yeah, I don't know for her as much or any of the other people really, but cuz I would um, argue she's the second best. I don't think she's done much. It, you know, none of them are good. The yeah. mom's the one that's like I'm doing this. This is my job. I'm going to act. But she's probably the second 
least terrible actor, Chris R. Maybe I don't know. You really seem to think that. I would argue the psychologist friend. True. Oh, he's the bad. The psychologist oh. Peter. He was poorly written, but I think he was trying. Well, that's the thing. There, no one's more poorly written than Lisa. Like that is a disaster that's of a true. character. There's no arc. There's <laughs> nothing to hold on to at all. Well, it's just a classic misogyny moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, her character is horrible. It's so bad because all she cares about is having sex with people and betraying people yes. and using people. Yes. That is all her character is. Yeah. I deserve it, don't I? We have her, her mom. Yep. And we have the lady that sells flowers and has a dog. And, and, Michelle. <laughs> and, and Michelle. And Michelle. And Michelle. Michelle is like the most reasonable woman. Uh, like the most is she for woman. being with Mike? Okay. <laughs> the flower shop woman is the only female character that has dignity. <laughs> yeah. I, there is no dignity in charging $18 for red roses. Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't see you with you. She's an entrepreneur. She's an entrepreneur. She has a dog at work. That's pretty great. It's like, this is a moral good for John. To have a dog is like a virtue. It works out because Johnny is so rich that he tells her to keep the change. Yeah, that's what it is. That's why he's her favorite customer. Yeah. You're my favorite customer. This is maybe my favorite behind the scenes story of the making of the room. Because so Tommy had a horrible, even though he wrote the script, could not remember his lines for the life of him. So was always forgetting it, always had to be prompted. Usually had them like off scene, like being read to him. There's one scene of natural acting in this film, and it is in the flowers scene because they were doing (laughs) so many takes of that. Of him just going up and him like not being able to remember it. And like, I think the lady also couldn't remember it. But there's one take where they go up and whenever he's seeing her and saying the line and he looks over when he's walking over and says, hi, doggy, and then walks out for the entirety of the day. He thought it was a stuffed animal. And that one take, he realized it was a real dog. And went up to her afterwards. He was like, so that's no. a real dog, right? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, no. it's not fake. Nope. In a brief moment, he stopped being Johnny and returned to Tommy. Yep, yep. Tommy, why so? What kind of drugs do you take? <laughs> well, he's been apparently been in two major car accidents, so he said that yeah, was those are surprising. the things that like changed him. Uh huh. Two car accidents and seeing a dog, realizing a dog was real. Yeah. <laughs> those are the three big. Oh my god. So okay, so in his mind, it was just like. A real stuffed animal or like... He thought it was like either a statue or a stuffed animal that they just had. He didn't there. see it moving. And then, yeah, he didn't see it moving. And then finally he looked over and saw it like pant or something. And he's like, oh, it's real. Hi, doggy. <laughs> Hi, doggy. Sweet Jenkins. Oh, that's the best... <laughs> that's the best scene in the movie by far. Because oh, yeah. it's so chaotic. It's the perfect amalgamation of the film. It's completely unnecessary. People have literally multiple times in the movie walked in. He has walked in with things he has bought for Lisa before and said, I bought this for you. And yet this time he has to be shown purchasing it before he goes and gives it to her for no reason. Because it builds up that everybody loves him. Because you're You're my my favorite favorite customer. customer. Despite the fact that she didn't recognize him with his sunglasses on. You cannot see someone with their sunglasses on. <laughs> I have a feeling they're also trying like very hard to get it to the minimum length to be a feature film. And so they're just but like... That's just 45 minutes, though. It counts at 45 yeah. minutes. This movie's like an hour, over an hour and a half long. It's like an hour 47 oh, okay. or something like that. 
It's crazy. He probably thought it had to be longer than it actually had to That's be. That's fair. That is fair. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, probably an hour and a half or something. <laughs> I know we've been bagging on him a lot, but I do also want to say, and like, I sincerely mean that I think you guys should read the book because it really is fascinating and honestly kind of does for Tommy, like what Grey Gardens does for like the Beals, where like you can just like watch it and be like, oh, yeah, they're just kind of crazy and that sort of thing. But then like hearing kind of the heart and like the intention and seeing a lot of the sadness go into it and hearing about like what he says, this is backstory is just absolutely crazy. Even if it is mostly fabricated, there's still like elements of it in there. And I think just like the fact that he decided to go and like do it his own when he never would get hired on a movie. No one would hire him to be an actor. And especially not with like, Hollywood standards of looks and that sort of thing. And just seeing him from that outsider perspective and all that he's gone through and just his ambition and his pure want for that to be creative and to like bring people joy, I think is something that is admirable, even though if it was done very poorly, I honestly think that there's more to Tommy than just kind of like the craziness and the kookiness and like the where is he and where is he from and that sort of thing. But that there is like an honest sentiment towards people and towards like actually bringing joy to people as well this is the citizen kane of bad movies that's been said before and it is true it tells you a lot about him and his journey and how i sort of think he talked himself out of the ending here like you know i think there's a sense that this was therapy for him and and he became famous from it and also it's not the worst movie no like in college i feel like we got the we're like ooh, this is really fun to watch let's watch other bad movies and we watch them and we're like no this this sucks yeah birdemic is another one that's funny to watch once but like it's just bad filmmaking it's not There's a joy a lot to skip. it's not a joy yeah mm-hmm. this has got bad sex scenes and that's it everything else is a joy to watch not for the intended reasons but yes <laughs> yeah i mean there really are so many bad movies where they're so bad you can't you literally can't watch it like vampire's kiss well I, that was i think vampire has kiss like is a hilarious, couple but it has a couple moments, like, I don't know. That is harder to watch than this is. And a lot of really bad movies are not as entertaining. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that this is the worst movie in the world because there is an entertainment factor in it. It's still very poorly made, very poorly acted, directed, all of that sort of stuff. But I think it's going to last much longer than any of those other bad movies because of how enjoyable it is. It's memorable. If some people praise Tim and Eric for creating a certain feeling and making people laugh, them being intentionally bad, I'm not sure just because the intent was different that we can, we shouldn't praise this movie for the same thing, doing it better. Sure. No, I, I, I completely agree with you that I think there is something to this that keeps bringing people back. And I've seen this more than most other movies, which is crazy. What? I've seen it quite a bit, but... Crazy, sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the fact that it actually spawned a community and spawned like an experience is just a wild thing that doesn't happen that often, which is yeah. crazy. Cult classics usually happen with like memorable, mediocre movies like The Mummy. But this is a bad movie. And now people now people love it. Well, you guys got anything else or should we move on to Trivia and Challenge? I'm very concerned about what is to come. Or do we need to hear yeah. another another Zach bit? Let's do another Zach. It's time for Zach. We gotta get okay. another one. Figure out what Zach has to say this time. All right, here we go. Here's Zach from the beyond. 
I find myself both laughing and crying and feeling all sorts of emotions of joy, sadness. And some people say it's a weak, melodramatic film. And I say, it's not weak. It's how life is. Not everything gets to be, like, diehard, where it's excitement all the time. Sometimes it's just this slow-moving pace and that build, that starts building and rising before you realize it. And suddenly it's, oh no. I didn't see this coming. How could my best friend and my lover choose each other over me? I trusted both of them, and I was betrayed. It's just heartbreaking. Zach's gonna kill me. He he gets Tommy's heart. No, I don't agree with that. I I, I really do think <laughs> Tommy like knew exactly what he was doing. It was all a joke the whole time. It's just the vision didn't come out at the right time. I I feel like if it came out now, I, I really do feel like it would be so much better received. It would be on bookshelves, not just as <laughs> not just as a film classic, but as a narrative classic, a <laughs> as a social movement classic. It would inspire so much of it's, us. It's so good that they put it on a bookshelf cuz it's good literature. <laughs> There's two kinds of movies. <laughs> Die Hard and The Room. I mean, if Kendrick Lamar gets to win a Pulitzer Prize for poetry, <laughs> The Room gets to be literature. Give this movie the Pulitzer, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> I think Zach has convinced us all. All right, I'm ready. Okay. Which one of these films was Greg Sestero not in? So he appeared as an actor, a background actor mostly, and he acted in a surprising amount of movies. So which one of these films was Greg Sestero not in? A, Gattaca, B, Romeo plus Juliet, C, Patch Adams, or D, Ed TV? Patch Adams. One, Patch Adams. I want it to be Patch Adams, so I'm going to say Romeo plus Juliet. I don't want it to be Patch Adams because I want him to be in that movie. I think I'm going to say Patch Adams because that's the most well-known. Romeo plus Juliet. You are correct. It is Romeo plus Juliet. Oh. He was in all of those other ones. All right. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau is kind of a weird cinephile. There are pieces of film history and actors specifically that he focuses on. So which of these actors was the character of Mark named after? A. Mark Wahlberg, B, Marlon Brando, C, Matt Damon, or D, Mark Hamill? Marlon Brando, final answer. I feel like that's a very Wiseauian thing to do, to name a character Mark after an actor who's not named Mark. <laughs> so I'm going to also go Marlon Brando. Didn't we talk about Marlon Brando a minute ago? Like being inspired by Marlon Brando or something? I love Marlon Brando. Something deep in my memory is going on where we talked about this before, and I'm going to say Matt Damon. It's Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, Matt Damon. After he saw Talented Mr. Ripley and he was so inspired, he misheard it and thought that it was Mark Damon. And so named that. Okay, I remember us talking about this before. Yeah. So as with the previous question of Tommy being a very strange cinephile and wanting to make a big splash appearance with a guest star at his premiere for The Room, Tommy befriended the widow and daughter of which famous director to attend The Room premiere with him? 
you're guessing which what the director is, but he actually took with him the widow and daughter of this director. A, Stanley Kramer. B, Stanley Kubrick. C, Elia Kazan. Or D, Alfred Hitchcock. I want to say Alfred. I really want it to be Alfred Hitchcock. Hitchcock. I want this. I don't know their family members, and it's cheating to Google it, so. But we could. Stanley Kubrick is what I'm leaning towards. But Alfred Hitchcock is the only one I'm confident is dead right now. Yes, Tommy, it's good. I'm going to go with Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) All right. All incorrect. It's actually Stanley Kramer. Oh. Yep. Oh. Which he did. It's a mad, 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 mad world. And Judgment at Nuremberg. And He did Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, he did Kramer versus Kramer (laughs) and Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So are you ready for your challenge? Yes. Is the challenge watch this movie again? Yeah, that's your challenge. This movie surprisingly has a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. So not the worst movie ever rated on there. Can you name 10 movies that are rated lower than that? Jack and Jack Jill. Jack and Jill. Uh, Plan 9, 9 from Outer Space. Yes on Jack and Jill. Uh, no, Plan 9 has a 66%. Dang. Okay. Oh, shoot. Um, Birdemic. What was the other one that you said? Trolls 2. Birdemic might have some hype Birdemic, now. Birdemic 2. Birdemic has 18%. Yep. Ding, 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 oh, ding, shoot. ding. Um, what about Nicolas Cage's The Wicker Man? <laughs> Ooh, that's oh, a yeah. good choice. Troll 2 has 5%. For well, those who go. may be listening who may not understand... Uh, the Wicker Man is the movie about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on the Wicker Man. Um, the vampire movie. Vampire's Kiss. Kiss. Vampire's Kiss. Uh, no, Vampire's Kiss has a fifty-eight percent. Whoa. Um, I can give you some hints. There's an ET ripoff on here. The Paul Rudd bit. And, on and me. Something in me. ET and me. Yeah. Burger Alien and me. There's an Eddie There's Murphy like a... movie on here. Uh, a, a thousand words. No. Is it Norbit? Norbit might also be on here. Let me see. There's one movie that's like a... Yes for Norbit, but that is not the one I was looking at. Reginald 7, something like this? This It's a sci-fi one from the early 2000s. I know what you're talking about. He's a spaceship of himself. Tiny versions of himself inside. And I can't remember. No, that's... Well, that's a different one. It's the John Travolta one that bombed. Battlefield Earth, yeah. Battlefield Earth is on there. I guarantee it. Well, that's not an Eddie Murphy movie, but... (laughs) Yes, I know, but that's... (laughs) There's a McDonald's-sponsored movie where they tried to build off the the ET. Yeah, yeah, something in me. Yeah, they tried Uh, to... Yes, for Battlefield Earth. I'm trying to remember what it's called. No. (laughs) No, that's the the documentary. The Michael Moore documentary. This bit must be infuriating for listeners who know what movie we're trying to get. (laughs) There's another Nicolas Cage movie based off a Christian series. Left Behind. Oh, Left Behind. Yep. Everyone's crazy about those books in high school. Mm-hmm. Everybody was. Every single person on the face of the earth, and not just people we knew. Every person in my school, in my high school, that went to like the same church was like, oh my God. <laughs> Literally. Uh, there's an, a- another Adam Sandler Netflix-produced film that's a Western. Ridiculous uh, Six. Six, yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, a yeah. sequel to a classic horror movie. E.T. I'll E-T. give you a little hint uh, for Jaws it. Jaws well, 2. No, that'll give it away. Jaws 3. D. Jaws 4. Jaws 4D. <laughs> uh, you're getting close. You're getting close. Jaws the, the Return. Close. Jaws. This time it's personal. 
back in business. You're you're so close. Jaws five. One word thing. Gosh. Jaws <laughs> one in word smell it's Jaws the return. No. Jaws the fifth. You're close. Jaws the beginning. Jaws, Jaws the returning. You're so close. <laughs> Jaws, Say a Jaws different word. Jaws. Jaws Genesis. Jaws the. <laughs> the sequel. Tim, help Jaws, me out. This time he's dental. Trying to. Jaws the sequel. Jaws it's the... another R E word. Jaws the Jaws revenge. The return? Yes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> that took an embarrassingly long time. It's Jeez. a stupid movie. It doesn't deserve to be remembered. Piranhas <laughs> two. What's the Johnny? Uh, yes, Piranhas two. What's Piranha the Johnny two. Depp one where he has a mustache? Well, that's ten. Oh, Mordecai. Mordecai. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you guys got it, but Mordecai has a twelve percent. Yeah. What's a zero percent? Did we get any zero percents? There's quite a few of them, actually. Gotti used Stuff to be on there, but I don't know. Oh, uh, Giggly. Giggly. On. Giggly would be on there. Geely? Giggly. Oh, Mac and Me was Mac the ET. Mac and Me. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Roger yeah. and Mac. Oh, dang it. Staying Alive. Is that a sequel to Grease? Yeah. Yeah. It's a sequel to Face Off. Any more quotes that anyone wants to throw out? No, it's been 100 minutes. This is way off the rails. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well... I'm fed up with this podcast. I'm fed up with this podcast. <laughs> I'm fed up with I'm this podcast. I didn't do it. I did not. I didn't do it. I did not. I did pod. The only thing I can think about with this podcast is God forgive me. God forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up. Thank you guys so much for being on here. It was a lot of fun and really crazy. Yeah definitely was that yeah thanks so much for letting me be on the show and hanging out hopefully we can do it again good luck in editing uh, yeah thanks i was literally <laughs> thinking i'm like Fix it in post may screen. god have mercy on can, your can soul you come up with some more witty statements for me to say in post could you just put them slap them right in there for me yeah just send them to me why don't you will you write them and then uh and no. Then record no wait 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 I'll do let's a voiceover let's get let's get a room tone and then you say huh that's a really good point tim huh that's a really good point creed <laughs> Huh, that's a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) No, John, that's wrong. (laughs) Zach, what the f***? (laughs) What are you on over there? Really, I think this movie is about the ocean. The ocean? (laughs) It may come up, you know. That's why they show the Golden Gate Bridge so much. Yeah. Man, the amount of cutaway shots that they use in this is insane. Oh, Five for the garden party. It's no, I was gonna say, and like I had to check to make sure that there are no daytime cutaways. (laughs) Okay, well, I think that finishes up. Yeah, our next series that we're going to be covering is retelling or ripoff, where we're going to be focusing on films that are either an homage slash a retelling of another film or maybe a direct ripoff. And so we're just going to kind of look at these films and kind of ooh, we're going to be releasing a mini sode about it. So keep on the lookout for that, and that will also have the announcement of what the next film that we'll be covering is. Thanks again, you guys. Uh, anything you want to promote or anything like that? Follow me on Twitter at Connor Goods. C-O-N-N-O-R-G-O-O-D-Z for all your wholesome comedy content. <laughs> all right, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, you, you can uh, find my YouTube channel, DanielJLoganRill.com. Free donations can be made. Add my email.
<laughs> Wait, can Oh yeah, can go and listen really... to Dan Sing. Oh yeah. Dan sings sometimes. Dancing. Yeah. John yeah, yeah. Dan dancing. Okay, University Theater, HMS Pinafore, starting live this Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, this episode is going to be out after that. Why are you so bad at editing? Well, you know, I'll make this an emergency episode and put it out tomorrow. <laughs> Do an advert for one show in Kansas. <laughs> Watch this play. Our legions of fans will, will be there. Swarm your performance, Dan. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again. Please make sure to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find us at Rules of the Frame. That's where you can leave a comment for us or maybe recommend a film or refute a point that we make. And, I mean, if you want to send us some feedback on the structure of the show or anything like that, that's a good place to do it. We also really appreciate reviews on iTunes. Just that helps to make our show much more visible. And you can also review podcasts on Spotify now. If you scroll up to the top on your mobile app, there's a little star up there, and that's where you can give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that. Or if you just want to share us with your family and friends, we appreciate that as well. Got to say thanks to John for the use of the graphic, and to Caden Reed, Ethan Stafford, and Luke Hogan for the use of the theme song and the outro. This has been Film Analysis for a Modern Audience. And us. And children. Sweet baby gourds. That was ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs>